Hi there. How you doing? It's good to see you. It was a couple weeks ago, I was going through the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, and uh, yeah, all right, all right. It's one of these kind of crowds. I like that. Uh, so anyway, I ordered some meals uh, for my family. I get to the window to pay, and it was, uh, I don't know, it was like four, it was two adult meals, two kids meals for like 25 bucks. What's up with that? That's a conversation for another time. And uh, so I pay, and I let the guy know. You know, they say, what sauces would you like? So I tell them the sauces that I want to have. And, um, and now, sidebar, um, I, how many of you have had the honey roasted barbecue at Chick-fil-A? What's up? We need to start a club, those of you that raised your hands. Anyway, uh, so anyway... So I tell him what I need, and he, the guy at Chick-fil-A proceeds to tell me that he can't give me the six Polynesian sauce and ten honey-roasted barbecue that I had asked for. Now, that's not all for me, by the way. Remember, there's three other people. My wife and my daughter like the Polynesian sauce, and then my son and I like the honey-roasted barbecue. So he eats one honey-roasted barbecue. I have nine. But that's how we split it. That's how we split it. And... Uh, so anyways, but he tells me that they have this new policy and they can't give me that many. And, uh, and I, I don't, you know, it's like I just, so I say to him in not the nicest tone. And I said, dude, I don't care about your policy. I just paid $25 for nuggets. Okay. So you're going to give me as many sauces as I want. And that's the end of this conversation. And the guy was stunned stunned. And he's like, uh, you know, so he turns around and gives me the sauces that I want. And, and I think to myself, as he's handing me a bag with like, you know, whatever, 16 sauces in there. And I think like, Bob, you were kind of a jerk there, but sometimes that's what you got to do to get it done. And, uh, and just as I'm about to leave, one of the managers, uh, comes over and he says, pastor Bob, is that you? I'm like, Oh, I'm like, no, I'm his very rude twin brother. And, uh, and he says, oh, I thought that was you. And he says, hey, did they give you enough honey roasted barbecue? I know you really like that stuff. Here, hold on. And he gives me like this handful. I'm like, ah, you know, like swimming in the stuff. And, uh, and he says, oh, you know, hang on a second. And then he turns around and he gives me those little like cow plush dolls. And he says, here, have one for each of your kids. Is there anything else I can give you? Like duct tape for me to shut up? I don't know. I mean, and, and it's like every like act of kindness that he does is just like heaping on the guilt, you know, as, as I was so rude to this kid uh, who's like just trying to do his job. And so I drive away and I'm like, oh God, I failed. I failed the meekness test again, you know, and uh, it, was, it was horrible. Um, I, I got over it, but it was bad. Because I had so much honey roasted barbecue, I was able to get over it. Um, but here's the thing. Now, I, I say I failed the meekness test. I mean, what is, what is meekness? Um, we, we tend to not really know what that term means um, because we have this idea that meekness means weakness, which it doesn't. Literally, the term meekness means someone who has power but is able to restrain it. Culturally, it spoke of like a wild stallion that used to be totally out of control, but now has been tamed, still possesses great power, but is able to harness and channel it in a productive way. My brother-in-law, 
one of the things, uh, my, what my brother-in-law's hobby is uh, he bought this Mustang, and uh, he just like soups up this Mustang. Like that's, that's like his, his hobby, and that's what he spends his time and, you know, extra money doing. And so the, the, he has souped this car up so much that it's not even street legal anymore. Um, and so he's got all different tires and different, he, apparently he had to put different seats in because that makes the car, I'm not really sure how that makes the car faster, but apparently that makes the car faster too. And then all the stuff that he does to the engine and all this stuff. And so um, he takes it up to West Palm Beach where he races it with other people who have the same, you know, problems that he has. And, you know, so they race their car around the track and all that. And he's got like a helmet he has to wear for inside of a car. And, um, but he let me drove it, drive it one time and it is awesome. I thought it was the stupidest hobby until I drove the car. And then I'm like, I need one of these, like big time. And because uh, it's so, it's so fast. Because I'm telling you, it's just, you just, you just touch the gas and you're, whoa! I mean, you're like, you turn into Lightning McQueen. You're like, woohoo! I mean, it's just so fast. And, uh, and, uh, but here's the, here's the thing. And I drove it, um, I've driven it a couple times, but I drove it like just before it became street illegal, but it was still street legal at the time. And, uh, but the car still had like, all, you know, a lot of the souped up stuff on the engine and man, it was so hard to go the speed limit. I mean, you know, sometimes people are challenged to go the speed limit, you know, but it's like you're driving like a 1982 Escort and it's hard to go speed limit. But imagine having a car that you just touch the gas and you're going like a hundred. And, and, but listen, that's what meekness is all about. Meekness is being able to just touch the pedal and you're going a hundred in four or five seconds. Meekness is not just having that power, but being able to control it and being able to now throttle it back and go the the limit that you're supposed to go. Jesus is talking to a group of people who are following him. And these people have followed him to a hillside where now he's going to deliver the most famous sermon that he ever gives. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And And this group of people want to know what you and I want to know. The very same thing that we want to know is the very same thing that they want to know, and that is how to be happy. And so what Jesus does, he opens this famous sermon with what are called the Beatitudes, that is eight very contrarian statements about how to be happy, or what does it mean to be happy, what does it mean to be blessed. And the reason that we call them contrarian statements, or I call them contrarian statements, is because they're the exact opposite of what most of us would think. Right? I mean, Pastor John taught, did a great job last week teaching. And what did he teach? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Like, happy are the unhappy. Like, what does that mean? You know, and John did a great job unpacking that. But, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And, and so what exactly is it that he's telling us it's that we are looking many times in the wrong place to find happiness, the very thing that we want. And sometimes we find it in the exact opposite way than we think we would go about getting it. So Jesus now gives us the third beatitude. I put it in your notes where he says this, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Now you have to understand when Jesus says the words, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. This must have been a shock to uh, the listeners of, that, uh, of Jesus in that day because th- when he starts talking about the meek inheriting anything, they're thinking, I'm sorry, Jesus, you're, you're a great teacher and we're following you because we think you might be the Messiah, but we think you might be off on this one because the meek don't inherit anything. That's not the way the world works. 
You see, we're under the rule of Rome. And the reason why many of us are following you, Jesus, is because we think that you might be the one. The Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one. The one who's going to rise up and overthrow the Roman yoke. And now we'll be our own sovereign nation again. We can have our land back and we won't be oppressed by Caesar and his armies and all of that. And so, listen, when Jesus says, here's the deal, you want to be happy? The meek will inherit the earth. And they're like, I'm sorry, that doesn't compute. Because the meek don't inherit the earth. The forceful take the earth. Because the rules of the way that the earth works, of the way the world works, is that number, rule number one, get power. Rule number two, keep it. And every single empire of the past understood that. They understood whether it was the Egyptians, whether it was the Assyrians who had conquered the known world at that time, and then were taken over by the Babylonians. The Babylonians were taken over by the Grecians led by Alexander the Great. And then eventually after the death of Alexander and the kingdom was divided, then the, Ro- the Romans came in and conquered the known world. It was not meekness that conquered the earth. It was meanness and power and force that conquered the earth. But Jesus now is telling them a new way. Presenting a very different way to live. A way where the meek inherit the earth rather than the forceful try to take it. Understand, friends, this is not a new idea. It's, it's an idea that King David sang about in the Psalms. I put the Psalm in your notes in, ver, in Psalm 37. He says this. He says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For a little while and the wicked will be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for this place, for his place, and it shall be no more, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. See, here's the reality. The reality is, is that sometimes we try to use force to gain something, but Jesus says that the meek will inherit everything. And that's the point of this beatitude is that you can try to gain anything, use your power to obtain something, but the meek will inherit everything. And this is how we express our trust. Either our trust in God or our trust in ourselves. I mean, you know, am I trying to make things happen in my own strength? And once again, I'm not talking about doing our due diligence, putting forth effort to, make, uh, to, to fulfill our responsibilities. But listen, we know. We know when we're trying to manipulate circumstances. We know when we're trying to force things to happen a certain way, even if it's not what God wants, or it's not the way God would want it to happen. We think, well, I'm sure the ends will justify the means at some point in time. So, let me ask this. How do we inherit the earth? I mean, how do the, how do the meek... Happy are those who are meek. Happy are those who have tremendous power but are able to restrain it. How is it that they, if they're happy that they can do that, how is it that they inherit the earth? Let me read you a passage from the book of Romans, chapter 8. I put it in your notes. He says, And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. You see, if we're talking about inheriting, then there's the nature of relationship. And the Bible tells us that we are the heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. 
But if you're here and you're a Christian in this room, that listen, we have an inheritance that's coming to us just because uh, by nature of the fact that we're a child of God and a follower of Jesus. And that's speaking eternally, but how does that play out in real life? How does that play out in daily life? Because, right, all of us pray. All of us have requests that we make to God, hoping that He will answer in the way that we want. Right? We, we pray for sick people to get better. We pray for the financial situation to turn around. We pray for the right person to love us. And we pray for the right things to happen for us. And so, if the meek inherit everything, blessed are those who are meek, who don't try to just take what they want forcefully. Instead, they have great power, but they're able to restrain it. If they're happy because they inherit the earth, how does this play out in the real world? There's a passage that's in your notes, and I want to read it to you um, from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Um, It's a powerful, one of my favorite verses, but Jesus says this. He says, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then Jesus says it again, just in case we missed it. He says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, yeah, that's pretty awesome, right? Yeah. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. By the way, that's a good thing. This is interactive, right? Because here's the good thing about, the, about interaction, you know, like interaction, is that interaction always improves the message. Because if the preacher's not doing well, you can like, all right, and it like helps him out. Or if he is doing well, it's a way to know like, hey, you're doing well, and then when you start throwing things, he knows when to stop. Okay, so uh, <laughs> now, here's, now here's the thing. He says, if you will do an- anything, right? If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Listen, in the Bible, there are over 3,000 promises. 3,000 promises specifically for you and for me. But in my opinion, this has to be the greatest one of them all. That whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. It's a bold promise. But listen, all of us, I mean, if we're being honest, we have all prayed for things that didn't come to pass. We've all sought God for situations, circumstances, people, positions, finances, family, all that stuff, and and maybe things didn't work out the way that we hoped. And somehow the prayer wasn't answered, somehow the request wasn't fulfilled, and somehow the promise never saw the light of day. And the question is why? And what I want to do for the time that we have together, I, I want to spend some time talking about these two verses, whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I want to talk to you about what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Because I really believe that understanding why we pray in Jesus' name and praying in Jesus' name will transform your life. I believe it will transform your, your relationship with God and that it will transform the nature of how you pray. Listen, the things that I'm going to share with you could potentially change you fundamentally. Not only will it mature you if you grasp it, but it will deepen your walk with God as you embrace it. So what is it? What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? To pray in Jesus' name, number one, if you're taking notes, is this, is that praying in Jesus' name speaks of his authority. It speaks of his authority. When we inherit something, we inherit it through a relationship, through a name. 
I have a friend uh, a few years ago who wanted to attend the Bible college that I used to run. And so um, he had filled out all his paperwork, but it had, the, de- the registration deadline had passed. And so he says, well, I, I don't know what to do. Um, so he calls me and he says, Bob, it's kind of an odd request, but um, I want to sign up and take some classes this semester. The deadline has passed. Um, is there any way that you could call over there and see if um, they, they could do something and maybe let me in? And I said, yeah, let me, let me give them a call. So I, I called the school and uh, asked to speak to the director, um, who is the guy that I hired to replace me when I left to come and start Calvary. That helps. And um, so I called him and I said, hey, I have a friend and um, he wants to come to the school. The registration deadline has passed, but I'd consider it a personal favor if you would just, you know, overlook that and accept him and all that. And, um, and he said, yeah, no problem. Just have him come down and tell him that, that you're, you know, that he's your friend and, and, we'll, and we'll do it. So he, I call him back and I say, hey, you can uh, go ahead and um, go down to the school and uh, bring all your paperwork. This is the person you want to ask for and tell him that you're friends with me and everything should be good to go. And uh, sure enough, he calls up, and man, they like rolled out the red carpet for him, and it was, you know, they, they, they accepted him. The whole thing was good to go, and, uh, and he calls me back. He's like, wow, man, your name, your name really means something over there. And I said, yeah, unfortunately, um, that doesn't work everywhere. Uh, you know, like you go to the gas station down the street from there and be like, I want free gas in Bob's name. That is not going to work. Not going to work for you. Um, and now, the reason I tell you that is, is that when we pray in Jesus' name, We don't come to God on our authority. We come to God in Jesus' authority. That's why we end the prayer, whatever it is we're praying, we say, in Jesus' name, amen. And so we don't pray in Jesus' name, amen, because it sounds cool or it's like a spiritual version of like, you know, 10-4, good buddy. Uh, You know, we pray in Jesus' name because whenever we pray, we're praying, when we say in Jesus' name, we're praying in the authority of the name of Jesus, I mean, how much authority does this name have? In in Philippians 2, it's in your notes, it says this. It says that God has given him the name that is above every other name. I mean, that's how powerful the name of Jesus is, that there is no other name that has more authority, more power associated to it than the name of Jesus. So why does he let us do that? Why does he let us pray in his name? It's because he calls us friends. Listen to this powerful verse. One of my favorite passages in all the Bibles in John 15. But he says this, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known unto you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. We have these, um, I've talked about this before, we have these concerts at my house. They're not big concerts. There's only two people in attendance. My wife and my youngest daughter, Olivia, are the ones who listen, and I'm pretty sure my daughter, Olivia, is going to join the band. Um, but my son and my, my oldest daughter, Mia, who's five, and I have a son, uh, Xander, who's two and a half. He'll be three in July. And um, so I play guitar, and then the two of them sing. And so we learn all these songs. And so they make their requests to me as far as what songs they want to learn. 
And uh, like we just learned uh, one of the songs from the Cars 2 soundtrack, but we already know two of the songs from Cars 1. We have like a pretty good repertoire of how to put on, like we know how to put on a show. Um, and so we, the kids have like these, they, like these little mic stands that they sing into and they have like, and then they can like just go with like the microphone, you know, that they can sing into. And, um, and then uh, Xander has one and my daughter has a Hello Kitty microphone and uh, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's awesome. I mean, we really rock out. And, uh, and then I have my acoustic guitar and we have all, you know, we play all these different songs, um, which are mostly like, they're all like kids songs, but the song, like when we're going to close the show. When we're like, all right, you guys have been a great crowd. This is going to be our last one. You know, like we have like the one that closes the show. And that is we play You've Got a Friend in Me from Toy Story. But we like to play the Toy Story 2 version because that's the more like Sinatra lounged out. You, know, you got a friend in me. That kind of version. And uh, so we like that version better. But man, when that song comes on, my son goes nuts. And... Um, he, he'll start singing, and then he'll go like, you know, one second, and he'll run to his room, and he gets Buzz, and Woody comes out, and then uh, Jesse and Bullseye, the whole Roundup gang is there, and everybody's there singing, and they're dancing around, going crazy, and, um, you know, and, and now listen, he says, why, why am I telling you, you know, that I'm, you can pray in my name, and here's what Jesus is saying, because you've got a friend in me, that's what he's saying, You're not, I'm not just your master, You're not just a servant. I have called you friend. I have called you friend. Not only do you have a friend in me, but you can count on me. And so when you pray, listen, pray in my name. Because there's no other name that has more authority than that name. There's no other name that has more power than that name. That's why we pray in Jesus' name, because it speaks of his authority. But there's a second reason why we pray in Jesus' name, and that is praying in Jesus' name assures our compatibility. What do I mean by that? It assures our compatibility with his name. Um, the other day, my daughter um, hurt herself. She fell down, kind of skinned her knee, one of those things. And um, in our house, my wife, because she does it this way, um, like I would just buy regular lollipops, but she buys these Vitamin C filled, echinacea, blah, 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 other stuff that I really have no idea. Probably not even like real stuff. But anyway, um, you know, so she buys this. It's like why she tells me to take vitamins. She's like, do you, take, do you feel any better? I'm like, I don't know. I don't feel any worse. So I guess I'll take them. And uh, so anyway, you'll get that joke later. And um, so, <laughs> so she has these like vitamin C lollipops that the kids can have. Like if they cry and they're, you know, kids, they go crazy when they hurt themselves. So she's like, would you like a lollipop? Lollipop? Yes, I would like one. You know, so, um, so they, we give them the lollipop, and so you know we're helping me out, and so she's sitting on the counter, and uh, we're taking care of her knee and all that, and then um, she's asking me uh, some questions, and then uh, after she gets done, I walk away, and you know, well, I put her down, and I walk away, and she goes up to her mom, and she says, "Mommy, Bobby said that I could have another lollipop," and Carrie says, "No," and he says, "Well, why?" She says, because Poppy didn't say you could have another lollipop. She says, yes, Poppy said I could have another lollipop. Well, it turns out in the series of follow-up questions that Mia was asking me, she says, Poppy, um, if I get hurt again, would I be able to have another lollipop? And I said, well, that's the rule. If you get hurt, you can have a lollipop. But in her mind, since she was still experiencing a lingering discomfort from this original fall, um, she felt like that constituted another lollipop. And this is why I tell my wife that this girl is going to grow up 
to be a lawyer because she's always like really being, she's always very, it's all about technicality with her, you know, it really, and so, but the point is this, um, is that, you know, even though my daughter comes to her mom and says, I come in Poppy's name asking for a second lollipop, which is basically what she was doing, my wife says no, because it wasn't compatible with what my wife knew about me, and that is that we don't let our kids in our house shotgun two lollipops in a row. It's just not the way we roll at our house. And so even though she was speaking in my name, her request wasn't granted. And so she might think, well, speaking in Poppy's name doesn't work at all. But listen, the same thing is what happens when we, when we pray in Jesus' name. We can pray in Jesus' name all day long. But if the request is incompatible with who Jesus is, the request is not going to be granted. The other day, I'm driving, and some guy cuts me off. And it's not the typical Miami cutoff, which is like any person who changes lanes, all right? But it's like one of these, like, you got to slam on your brakes. You're like, <gasps> you know, you're thinking, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking, like, seeing the bright light, like that kind of thing. It's like that moment, this is, I'm going to go see Jesus right now. This is going to be the end. And it was like one of those real bad cutoffs. And, uh, you know, I get, I'm so mad. You know, I'm turning all shades of green. I'm ready to turn into the Incredible Hulk. And, um, and, and if, but if, if I decided to pray at that moment, and I'm like, oh, God, turn that idiot into a frog. Put him in the middle of the road so I can squash him. In Jesus' name. Right? Okay, that doesn't work. All right? Like, that's not compatible with who Jesus is and what we know about him. Right? He's not in the business of doing that, right? But, like, same thing can happen to me. And I can pray, Lord, that guy is a danger to himself and to other people. Help him see that. In Jesus' name. And if you want to give him a ticket, let me be there when it happens. You know, I can't, I can't pray that. I can't pray that. I can't pray that part, but I can pray the first part. <laughs> I can pray the first part. Why? Because that's a prayer that is compatible with who Jesus is. You see, in 1 John, the Bible says this. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will... He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know uh, know that we have what we've asked for. You know, there's another factor at work, and this is the cool thing about um, praying and praying in Jesus' name, is that the Bible says this. Not only are we praying, and sometimes we pray for each other, and that's a cool thing, um, but listen, the Bible says this. It says that Jesus Himself is interceding for us to the Father. Like right now, according to the Bible, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. How cool is that? That Jesus is praying for you right now. That Jesus is praying for me right now. That that is a really cool thing. In fact, it says this in Hebrews. I put it in your notes. It says, but because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. That is the coolest thing that Jesus right now is praying for you and praying for me. And, but here's the thing. If Jesus is interceding for us, it sometimes means that he's going to take our prayer 
and modify it a little bit midstream. So sometimes you might be praying, oh God, I need money, please, I need money. And, and, and Jesus is saying, um, Father, he really means he wants a job. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what I prayed. I just said I need money. He says he wants a job. Well, what is that? And a low-paying one at that. Because he says it will build his character. Who knew? Okay. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and then, now, you might, like, I'm telling you, this happens. Like, oh, God, I really want to marry her. And then Jesus is like, Father, he says he doesn't. He says he doesn't ever want to see her again. I'm just telling you what he said. You know, and uh, I'm telling you, I, I, I don't know if this exists, but I pray that it does. Like someday in some of the heavenly archives, there's this journal or something of all the prayers we prayed that God didn't answer the way we wanted them answered. And we realize like God has saved our lives a million times over. Um, like I, I remember when I was in high school and I dated this girl and she dumped me, which I have no idea, like who would give this up? And uh, <laughs> right, right. Doesn't want a piece of this, and uh, delete that. And uh, this is getting away from me. Um, and <laughs> you know, my wife watches these things, and uh, she's somewhere with my daughter. And um, so I remember I was in high school, I was dating this girl, and she dumped me. And I remember I wasn't even a Christian, but I was praying. And I'm like, you know, God, someone help me! I got to get this girl back, and I didn't get her back. And then I had become a Christian after that. And like four years later, I saw her. And I was like, God, thank you for not letting me get her back. Because she changed and it wasn't good. That girl is rough looking. She was hot when I dated her. And now, wow, she needs Jesus. You know what I mean? And uh, that was tough. And uh, so so here we go. Okay, okay, yes, I have, find your center, okay, there we are, <laughs> and so listen, the whole thing is we pray in Jesus' name, and it, to pray in Jesus' name is to pray in a way that's compatible with Jesus' name, and the cool thing is, is even if we get it wrong, we know he's interceding for us, changing, you know, interceding and sometimes superseding what it is that we want. Now, here's the third thing. Praying in Jesus' name reveals his glory. It reveals his glory. Now, let me show you something that I am completely embarrassed by now, but I'll show this to you anyway. Here it is. This is my 11th grade report card, okay? I found this the other day. Now, you'll see uh, Mr. Denayer, uh, that, that class, that was, I believe, the, my final grade was a B. I believe that was a music theory class. Um, uh, he taught guitar and music theory but I th- I'm pretty sure it was a music theory class. Um, the Spinks, that's J.J. Spinks, or as we called him, Johansson, Johansson Spinks. Um, that was uh, graphic arts. Miss Hoffman, that was English 4 or English 3. <laughs> like, I got an F for the first part, an F for the second part. I didn't even show up for the final. That's why I got an I, because I didn't even show up. By the way, kids, don't try this at home. Um, and then... Um, like Miss Hagendorf, I don't remember what class that was, but I know that I got a C and a D, and I had calculated in my mind that if, even if I didn't um, show up for the final, I could still pass. 
And so I didn't show up for the final. That's why I got an F on the exam, but I still got a D because, you know, I'm reaching for the stars. And um, so anyway, uh, Alfred, that was consumer math. Um, Now you say, well, you didn't do bad. You got a C in that class. That's because that class was like basic math. They're like, all right, we're going to learn about multiplication tables. Like in this class, this is, by the way, the 11th grade. They taught you like how to write a check. That was like four weeks of the class. It was like how to write a check, you know. Anyway, it was like totally, it was, I, mean, I was there with a bunch of mutants um, in that class. And then, uh, I'm sorry, that was, not, that, was, uh, that, was, that was Mr. Randall's class, which I got a D in. Hello. Um, but the other class was a math class too because I'd failed all the other math classes that I had taken. Like I took algebra, failed that, and I'm like, let me just take algebra again. Guess what? Failed it again. And then I'm like, maybe I need to throttle this back a little bit. Do we just have one that just like teaches the numbers? So that's kind of what I was taking there. All right, can we get rid of that so I can never see that again? Now, all right. Now I show you that, right? To show you that um, where I started from is not like, well, you know, once he graduated from Harvard, right? No, 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 no. Um, this, this is like things did not start well, okay? Um, you know, it's just the crazy things that happen in life. Um, this week, I got a multi-book offer from a publisher. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I, got the, I had sent them a book. They had asked me. This is the weirdest thing. I, I got a request from them. Would you send us a book proposal? I sent them two. They said, we want both. And then I gave them, I kind of just pitched them a couple ideas for two more. They're like, we're interested in the other two as well. Um, and, uh, you know, and... and I read the email, hey, we've, appro- we've approved it and, you know, all this stuff. And, and I read it and I just started to weep. Um, and, I, and I remember I called my wife and I'm, I'm like, I'm shaking as I'm calling the phone, uh, you know, and I'm like, I've written books before and I signed with public, but like a multi-book deal was a, such a huge deal for me. Um, and, I, and I thought, I'm like, here, they probably don't even know, just don't even know what, that I failed all four years of English <laughs> in high school. I went to summer school every year to, to make up for the fact that I failed. And then once I was done doing that, I had to go back to high school for a fifth year. Not because the administration was like, come on back. We want you to be an example. Maybe a bad example, but that's, you know, I mean, it was like after summer school. And then there was one semester I did night school. Do you understand how horrible that is? Like you go to school all day and then you go all night. It's like you're living in Groundhog Day. And, uh, so um, I'm doing this, and like, I fail all this, went to high school five years, you know, to, to graduate, you know, and, um, and they let me write books in my spare time, um, and they're going to pay me for them, which I'm very happy about. Um, and then, you know, like, t- after all the services today, uh, tomorrow, I'm going um, to speak at this national conference with all these people that if I told you their names, you'd probably know who they are. And I've never had any formal public speaking training in my life. Um, you know, things happening here at Calvary that every, people just want to hear the Calvary story. Um, and, you know, we're one of the faster growing churches in Florida. Um, and when we started the church, I had, not that I'd ever read a book on church planning. I had a Bible and a guitar. And I'm like, that's pretty much all you need, right? And so I was the worship leader and the preacher. Because, you know, that always works out well. Um, and, and now the reason I tell you all this I tell you all of this because I don't want you to be like, well, look how smart Bob is. No, no, no. I was an idiot. Right? I mean, it's like, did you see the report card? Like, that was not doctored up. Like, that's it. And, 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 and here's the thing. Like, I've probably told you the story before, but I remember I'd, be, I'd become a Christian. I'd been Christian for like three years. 
um, and I was on the phone with a friend um, that I hadn't talked to since I had become a Christian. So we hadn't talked in like four years. And we're on the phone, and after about five minutes, he says, Bob, you sound a lot smarter. And I'm like, well, was I an idiot before? He's like, well, you know, it's, anyway, so how, how's the things going? And, and I like, just totally avoided that. And I'm like, listen, you know, Jesus not only saved me, but he saved me from being an idiot too. And uh, it was like a full service salvation that happened with me. Um, and, and the whole point is this. The whole point is this. God uses people in such a way so that he gets the glory, not us. So he gets it. Let me read you verses that have become like very dear to me. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 1. It's the last verse in your outline. He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. So you know what God does? He says, hey, God says, let me find the biggest loser, not the guy on the TV show, but the, this loser, and let me just do a work in his life. And you know what happened? And then when everybody sees, if God can do something with that idiot, he can do something with anybody, right? And that's, listen, that's the point. The point is, is that when we pray, sometimes we pray in such a way so that if things work out exactly the way we want them to, we will be the ones who get the glory. But that's not the way it works. And that's not the way that God answers that prayer. When we pray in Jesus' name, if you remember in those verses, he says in in John 14, he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we pray in Jesus' name so that God gets the glory. Not so that we get the glory. You know, um, the property that we're in the process of buying, um, there is another property on the market that we were looking at. And I had, this, I had concocted this amazing plan as to how we were going to get it. And so I had this whole approach. And then if they, they agreed to one thing, that was going to be the other thing. And then I had this whole thing. And I was talking to a guy who was like a mentor in my life. And I said, this is my strategy. And he says to me, he goes, Bob, you're a genius. This is great. And, um, and it never came to pass. I mean, it, it was like dead on arrival when I, we, we submitted the plan. And, and, um, and, I'm, and I thought back, to like, why is that? It's because if it happened... Bob would be the genius. But then there's this other property that came along, the one that we're in the process of buying, that, ha- that, that we showed up and there was a, par- a paved parking lot, water, sewer, electric already run, about $100,000 worth of site work that was done about somebody who was planning on doing something else with it, but it didn't work out for him, so now he's turning around and trying to sell it, selling it to us at a discount, and so now we're walking in with all this stuff already done, and who gets the glory for that? Not me. I was driving by, picking up a pizza. My life is led by carbs. I'm driving by, and I, whoa, look at that sign. And I took a picture of it as I was driving to pick up my carbs. And so I take a picture of the sign, of of the for sale sign, and that's how this whole thing happens. And we look at it, and we say, listen, God is the one who gets the glory for this, and God is the only one who gets the glory for this. So let's do this. Let's bring this a little, the conversation a little closer to home if we can. You see, maybe the reason 
that God hasn't answered our prayer. Like maybe you're praying for your spouse and you want them to change. Maybe the reason God hasn't answered that prayer is because if they were to change the way you want them to change, then you'd get the glory for it and not him. And so God actually has to answer it in a different way because it's not about us getting the glory, it's about him getting the glory. You see, maybe you haven't gotten promoted and you really want to get promoted, but God knows that if it happens to you right now, you'll become smug and arrogant and think that it's all about you. But see, there's one or two more character-building things that he wants. There's, there's one or two tests of character that are going to build your character. And once those, you pass those one or two tests that build your characters, God is going to blow the doors off of your career, and he's going to do some things that you couldn't possibly imagine. And so we struggle with, I really want this, and I can try to force and make this happen. But here's what Jesus said, happy are those who are meek who have the power but restrain themselves because they will actually inherit everything. Because God has the ability to do way more for us than we could ever do for ourselves. Maybe you want to find that person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. But listen, it's not going to happen as you scour every internet dating site and force it to happen. Maybe the way it happens is when you let it go. And you focus on your relationship with God and as you do and you really commit yourself to him and, and look what happens then then that other person he or she here's what, here's what they do they, they stop scouring the, the web and looking for the profile and, the, and here's what they do they really focus on their relationship with God and then through this series of circumstances God brings you together and then your story will not be I was seeking them out and I found them it will be we were seeking God and he's the one who brought us together. That's our story. You see, one of the things that I've learned now in almost 20 years of walking with God is that you can't force him. God does things the way he wants to do them. That's how the meek inherit the earth. That's how the meek are happy. Because they don't have to force it. They simply are able to take the power, the skills, the ability, the strength, um, the, the gifts that they have, but they don't have to force it to get what they want. Instead, they harness those gifts in a way that honors the Lord. And when they do, God does something greater in them than they could ever do for themselves. You see, I mean, if we were honest, maybe that's why things haven't worked out. In fact, you, you've, you've got the talents. You... you You've, you've got all the talent. You've tried to make it happen. And those and things just haven't gone the way that you hoped that they would. Can I tell you this? That it's very possible that this is by God's design. It's very possible. That every, if everything had gone the way that you wanted it to go, then you would have no need for God in your life. But it's instead, it's when the disappointments come or the setbacks come or when things don't turn out exactly the way that you hope that sometimes we we lift our eyes to heaven and we say, God, can you help me? That it's then what we actually call on him. And in fact, that could be what brought you to this place today. That's why God has allowed things to play out the way that they have, not because he wants us to suffer, but instead he knows that our lives will never make sense without him. 
that we were created by God to know God and to walk with God. And that he uses everything in our lives to draw us to him. Because all of us need forgiveness. All of us have fallen short of God's standard. And that's why Jesus came and that's why Jesus died on a cross because we're all separated from God because of our sin. But God loved us too much to leave us in that state. And so Jesus came and died so that we could inherit forgiveness, so that we could receive eternal life and grace through him. And maybe you're here and things haven't worked out and you're wondering and you're thinking, God, could it be that the thing that is the, has been the greatest setback that brought you here today will turn out to be the greatest thing that ever happened in your life because that setback is the thing that brought you here. And when you came here, you heard that Jesus died for you, that, that he rose again, and he offers you forgiveness and grace and heaven when you die and peace in the present and all of that. And he offers it to us freely. And you say, this was the worst thing that happened now God has brought something that's changing my life. It's what God does. He takes crucifixion and turns it into resurrection. God's taking what could be a difficult season in your life and here's what he's going to do. He's going to take that and as you make a decision to follow Jesus, he's going to turn that into a new birth in your life, a chance to start over, a transformation in your life. So I know there are some here that say, I'm ready. Today's my day. I want to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus to come into your life, to forgive you, to become your God, to become your Savior. Let's pray together. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that we can come to you, call out to you, and that you hear us. And Father, I pray that those who are here who are ready, that you would work on their behalf as they call out to you. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed as we're praying together, maybe you would say, Pastor Bob, I want you to pray for me because I want to invite Jesus to come into my life. I want him to forgive me. I want to know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I want to know that every sin that I've committed has been forgiven because of what Jesus did. If that's you, I'm going to simply invite you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Yeah, I see hands all across the room. Blessings to you in the back, you on the side, many of you in the middle. You say, I want you to pray for me. I want to invite Jesus to come into my life. I want to change my life. I want God to change my life. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for those who have lifted a hand because it represents a heart that is open. And so, Lord, may you meet them where they are. And as they pray, may you work in their lives, transform their lives in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name.